You're listening to the KB Podcast Network. <laughs> this is the Next Level Podcast, a place for business leaders, entrepreneurs, and dreamers to be empowered for an abundant kingdom life. Here's your host, Michael McIntyre. Welcome, everybody. Welcome to the Next Level Podcast. And I am excited today. Yeah, that's right. I'm excited every week. That's right. I said it. Listen, this is this is a special, special podcast because we've got the world-renowned, famous, uh, prophetic man in the history of Oh, my of Lord, stop it. <laughs> that's right. I said it. Sean Bowles is joining us today. Awesome. Uh, my good friend, Sean, and... Uh, He's here to answer some very good questions, okay, come on. and he's, he's going to open up his heart, open up his uh, mind, and uh, we're just in for a treat. So, uh, Sean, welcome to the Next Level Podcast, my man. Thank you very much, Michael. It's been way too long since we've talked, so I'm glad, even if it's in a podcast, that we're talking. Amen. Well, it's so good to have you. You know, I never, I'll never forget uh, the first time that Stacy and I got to meet you in and uh, I got a call from uh, Upper Room and they said, hey, listen, we got a VIP coming in. Uh, do you mind if they stay at your house? And, you know, of course, of course not. We love that, you know. And uh, they said, who is it? It says, Sean Bowles. Well, I didn't know who you were sure. at the time. This is back, you know, I think in the Stone Age, seven or eight years ago. And so uh, well, I'm, I'm only famous with 10 people who really like me. One of them is my mother. So it's fine. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. So I called Stacy. I said, hey, some guy named Sean Bowles wants to stay with us. Yes, we got a Sean stay with us. So it was really good. And I think you just had, you were just at the Azusa in Los Angeles. Yes, I was. And I think God TV was filming that one. And uh, so that was really amazing what happened there. So, you know, Sean, you, you know, everybody on this podcast, every, all my listeners through Charisma and everything, as you as you're in Charisma, uh, know who you are. But I wanted to, I really wanted to ask you some questions that maybe some of our listeners was always wanting to ask but afraid to. Yeah, yeah. let's do it. I love that. <laughs> That's awesome. So I know you've got like, I think you've got like 15 books out, you know, I was looking over this, you're, you're, you know, which is good. You guys are are a book machine. I love that. Uh, your new book is called Prayer, Prophecies and Declarations, Provision. It's all about how God is our provider and in more than just finances. He provides for our emotional needs, relational needs, health needs, etc. And he also provides declarations and decrees to pull that provision down. So what what prompted you to write this latest book? Because it sounds amazing. Well, I, I was prompted a couple of years ago where we were praying through the, actually the last one that I released is in the same series. This is number two. It was called Breakthrough. And I realized like a lot of words have become buzzwords to Christians. And so we don't actually use the power of them. And God has names and he has identities that he revealed himself to us that we kind of just, you know, just almost like when you say dad too many times, you just your dad's your dad, you know, it's like you didn't think about it. But if you think about all the things your dad might or will do for you because he's your dad, you have these benefits because he's your dad. That's his identity to you. Well, I realize that there's all these other names that we have, you know, that are identities to us as the body of Christ that we don't access, pull on or pray for. But we have some level of expectation or heart that he'll manifest that way. But we don't we don't have well constructed thinking about it 
Or if we do, it was from a long time ago. It was from another season ago. And so even like names like Jehovah Jireh, the Lord's our provider. Like when I was growing up in the church and I was growing up in the 80s and 90s in the church, everybody would be praying Jehovah Jireh. And it sounded so like cheesy, charismatic Pentecostal to me. I'm like, Jehovah Jireh, you know, like totally <laughs> mocked that. You know, you're a kid. I was a teenager. And I just, I never got into any of the Jehovah Rapha, Jehovah, you know, and you see all these names. I never really got into them, but I understood like, of course, God's our provider. Of course, God is the God of breakthrough. That's one of his names, whatever, you know, and, but, but I never really understood fully, but I would have encounters with God that way, or I'd have in my life, I'd have a manifestation because I'm a Christian. And so I started to realize when we really were in a season of needing breakthrough, and now the world's in a season of needing provision, they need God, the provider to really come. And I realized there's not enough language out there. And language is so key to our relationships, right? If we have the right language in conflict, we won't be stupid. You know, our ego is stripped away. If we have the right language in business deals, our, our, it goes just so much smoother because we, we have that emotional intelligence of what we're actually trying to communicate. So I released Breakthrough and it did so well. It was a bestseller and it was like in the top 10 books on Amazon the day it was released. It was crazy. And we're like, okay, people want this. And the feedback's been phenomenal. And I always intended to do a series of God's names. And so the next one is God the Provider. And it's really exciting. We're doing a, a TBN series actually in God's names. I haven't told anybody yet. You guys are the first one. I'm breaking the news here. All we're right. doing a TBN series next year in God's names. Because I feel like, especially like my, my audience is mostly like 30 to 40. And mm -hmm. uh, even into the 20s, I have some in the late 40s, 50s. But my main audience, like if you look at all my algorithms, is in their 30s and 40s. And a lot of people in their 20s to 30s don't really know, uh, they don't really know God in all these aspects in a, in a really intentional knowing way. So that's why we've done that book. And I think it's, it just helps people to have, what is God saying about this in my life? How can I pray about it? And how can I declare it? And declaration is so key because it's kind of like what Covey says, uh, you know, when, if you write down a plan, you're 80 times more um, uh, you know, you'll operate at eight times more than if you don't write it down. Like it'll, it'll actually manifest eight times more. And so I think when we make a declaration and we make a planned speech with God, like not liturgical necessarily, but just a planned intentional speech with God that we're more likely to fulfill it or recognize when the fulfillment's coming. We're not ignorant. It's awesome. It's so cool. Uh, well, congratulations on that book, Thank Sean. You. And uh, if you, if our listeners haven't picked it up yet, please don't go pick it up. Uh, all right. So my first question is, uh, at what age were you when you heard from God for the first time that you were aware of? Do you remember? Like four years old. <laughs> wow. I, grew up, I mean, like I grew up in a Christian family. So my parents and they were around all this kind of stuff. And it was super normal. We didn't, we didn't think of it as like... Um, uh, certain people had gifts and certain people didn't. We just were Christians. We had Jesus inside of us. And so we prayed. And my parents would say, what is God showing you? And they'd modeled it so well. And I, my daughters, our five and seven, Harper heard from God so powerfully the other day, who's the seven-year-old. It's so powerful. And it actually, it was about a week and a half ago that it actually caused us to make a huge decision in our life. It, it was like the tipping point for something we're working on right now. And so I'm like, uh, kids don't have a junior Holy Spirit. They have full God. So, you know, I was a kid. I'm glad it happened when I was a kid, though, because I know as an intellectual, I would have had a really hard time later. So awesome. Well, I love that. Four years old. And I love that your children are hearing. I think I think, you know, from my experience, when I set up a room, I would go in uh, with the children's deal and they would soak and they would hear from God. And uh, it was amazing the words that they would get. Yeah. I think 
think it's really pure and it's easy for them to hear it, you know? And so that's awesome. Okay. So I do know a little bit about your background. I know your mom and dad are amazing. You grew up with a good family, but you know, what kept you on track as a teenager? Okay. How, how did you, cause you, you know, you, you lived, uh, I, I don't want to say an idyllic life, but maybe so, but you know, how, what made you stay focused as sure. a teenager? teenagers you know kind of go off the beaten path and kind of rebel some then come back yeah i mean i think they're focusing on that god's i went went to public school i was in all public uh um kind of in high school and stuff and i i had all kinds of public activities i was in journalism a little bit i was in um i was in choir i was in played sports three sports i did i did i was a workaholic basically in, in high school and i was also i liked education to some degree so i you know grades and stuff so um, I, I had a lot of good, healthy friends, Christian friends at my church. They didn't go to my school. No one went to my school because it was too far away. Um, where I, I grew up in my high school years in Sacramento. We had had a little bit of a move of God um, when I was in junior high. My sister was in high school. And, and I saw God change people's lives and really transform their lives. And so I was in. Like I, was, I wanted to see God transform lives. It was really hard in high school because I had seven friends die in one month. And I got a little, it was my only real bout of serious depression I ever faced. So it was a little hard season, but I, I drew into God. Like there was times that he, he was all I had. Like he was, so I didn't feel like, I mean, I had good friends. I don't want to minimize them, but I mean, just as far as when you're going through a hard time. So I feel like when it came to immorality, so my parents, my dad is such a man of integrity, he set such a good example, but he didn't just set the example. He told me one day, and this, this stuck with me forever. I asked him why he didn't look at pornography or like, I never noticed him look at women or whatever. Other than my mom, he said, I love your mom so much. We have such a good thing going on that if I looked at somebody else, I'm, I'm, I'm literally dishonoring her to the point that if I'm saying yes to her, I'm saying no to a thousand other things. But if I say yes to one of those things, I lose a level of quality, possibly all of it with her. And so holiness to me, Sean, is that when we, we know what we're saying yes to and we commit our, our yes to yes, and we say no because we like our yes so much. And that really just impacted me as a young man to say, what am I saying yes to? What am I going after? And, and I want to, I want to have that kind of holiness in my life. And, and, you know, we all struggle and we all go through stuff, but it was really interesting not ever having done drugs, never having premarital sex before I was married. And I got married at 37, so it's a big deal. Never, you know, never, I had never been drunk, like all those things. In high school, I had friends who were, I mean, I would be the designated driver at times and drive people home, but I just didn't have that in my lifestyle. So I think just, I knew what I was saying yes to. That's so good. I love that. And uh, I know there's a lot of parents out there that are raising teenagers and they, you know, they might have some rebellion going on. What would you recommend to them as a parent now of two amazing daughters and, and looking back at your life, what would you recommend to parents that I, I know we've got to pray, we've got to, you know, uh, it, but if some, you know, sometimes these kids, you know, <laughs> you know, our teenagers will some, even in the early twenties, sometimes rebel. What would you totally. offer it? I think yeah. I think parents make two big mistakes. One is that either they enable them and become their friend, or only, or they um, or they are too strict. And as, as a Christian, both of those are not how the Father treats us. I mean, when we rebel, or when when the body of Christ rebels, or when Israel rebelled, he went after him lovingly. And there was, you know, he does he disciplines those he loves. So it means that he's going to keep healthy boundaries up. But I think um, keeping connection at all costs, meaning. I want to connect to your heart regardless of, you know, your activity, but I have to do it on terms that are safe for both of us, that are safe for my heart and safe for your heart. And so I think I had foster kids and there was times that I knew they were 
participating in things that I wouldn't agree with. And I would tell them, like, I, I don't need to know what I don't need to know um, because there's areas that you're not, I can't trust you in. And so I don't need to know all those details, but I do need to, I, I want your heart. Like, I want to, I'm going to be able to talk to you. And, um, but at the same time, I'm not going to compromise in my morality or my, or my standards, you know, like this is, this is what, where we're living to keep us safe. And if you want to live outside of that, you are living outside of that, but I'm still going to have a heart connect with you. And I don't know what it's like to have teenagers that are your own. I only had foster kids and I have my two kids, but I mean, like I, you know, one of my friends, his daughter just got married to a woman, right? So she's a lesbian who got married to a woman. He's a pastor. And so I remember he called me up and goes, what do I do? And I said, and they, they want us to come to the wedding. And I said, it's the most important day of her life. Go to, for her on her, cause she's not valuing Christianity. Go and be a part of the most important day of her life. You're not, you're not marrying her. So you're not officiating. You're not standing with her. You're just supporting her as your daughter and loving mm-hmm. her and building the bridge of relationship. And, um, and you already know she doesn't choose the values, but man, she doesn't know if you'll choose her regardless of her choices. And it was everything to her. Like it actually restored so much relationship and, and gave them a voice together again that they hadn't had in 10 years. Because just because they chose one day to love her well, even though they weren't in support of the marriage, but they loved the woman she married. They love her. They're treating her really well with honor. But, um, but they know what the, the parent's choice is. And so I think a lot of times as parents, we're so about right and wrong that we can kill love. And I think love is more important than the right and wrong. I mean, everybody will know the right and wrong. You're not supposed to make the decisions or manage their decisions for them. You're supposed to love them in the midst of them managing their decision. That's the hard part. Platinum right there, baby. That's platinum. It's so true. You know, in, you know, Bob Goff always talks about love everybody always. Yeah, absolutely. Jesus wants us to pray for our enemies, but to love our enemies and love everybody always, no matter what the circumstances are, that's the next cut. Yeah. Uh, we're, we're, we're really bad at it, but we're getting good at what we're really bad at. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. All right. Uh, so how much hearing from God comes from within the office ministry assignments versus practicing? Well, everything starts with practice because we got to know how we're wired and everything comes from not the gifts. The gifts are the support of the relationship with God. So before it becomes a prophetic word or an assignment, it starts with, I want to know you, God. So Jesus prays in John 17, I want you to be with me where I am. So you're starting to ask him things like, what did you dream? It says, I was prepared for good works before time began. Why did you dream good works of me? And what are those works? And you can find that both in the Bible and then you can find it fleshed out as God gives you revelation of yourself. Cause you have to, you have to have your own relationship with God to hear God for yourself. It gets really dysfunctional if you only hear for other people because it's showing that it becomes performance-based or just a ministry. But there has to be that quality of landing strip of relationship with God. So I think if we start to hear God, like we can ask big questions like God, what, what is the main industry, people group, city, region, whatever that I'm called to? What, what's the people group? How do I love them? Show me what you love about them. Show me what, how this is my lane, how I'm geared to love them. And then and maybe you're a business person and you're like, I want to put this product out there, but you've never been in touch with the people who would need that product, like the moms or the, or the you know, social workers or whatever, depending on what kind of product it is, or maybe it's an automobile industry. And so you've never even thought of the other, the other people. You're just, there's a lot of ego and self-absorbedness and a lot of the prophetic in a lot of the way we receive. It's kind of like the, my four-year-old daughter, when she's learning how to hear from God, she's like, I'm going to pray that God gives me this for Christmas. I'm on a computer. And she's, you know, that doesn't, that's, that's how we are. We're just, we, we think about ourselves and what, what there's to gain or what we can do to make ourselves feel like the hero of the story. And so when, when we remove the ego of it and just say, I just want relationship with you, God, show me who you love, show me how to serve them, 
show me because when we serve the ones he loves with the love that we're supposed to give them, we grow in our love. And so then also show me who I am to you. Like, what do you love about me? What are the things that are important to you about me? And when you start to learn those things and you start to prophesy out of a place of true authority, because it's relational authority, and there's a lot of false power out there, even in Christianity, where it's like knowledge power. Like, I know something's so powerful. Like, that's what politics is right now. It's like whoever knows the most is the most powerful. And the reality is that that's not kingdom. Kingdom is whoever I know the most gives me the most power. And we know God. So we've been seated in heavenly places because of our relationship to God. And he has all authority, all power, all titles, according to Ephesians 1. So I think as, you know, like if you're going after influencing culture, influencing people, there has to be that place where you know how to influence God's heart. And you know you know how to let God influence your heart before you're ever going to have real influence. It's not based on, because a lot of people get to spiritual midlife crisis. Have you ever heard that term? Spiritual mm-hmm. midlife crisis. It's when you get to the point where you realize a lot of what you built was still in your own strength and didn't require God. And you're disappointed. And you're like, I could have done this with or without you. And God's going, yes, I'm letting you actually experience the pain of that. So you'll do it differently for the rest of your life. Wow. And so I've met pastors. I mean, I've consult people who are pastors, business leaders, entertainers who go, I've been a Christian my whole life. I've never really surrendered my whole life to God. And I'm now realizing it. And now I'm in a lot of pain because I built this and I don't even like what I built. Wow. Even though it's successful or it's good or whatever, I don't want to live in this anymore. And that's that. So we know as humans, if some of the best people in history have built without God and had emotional breakdowns because of it, how do we stay connected and fight for that connection at all costs, even over impact and letting impact be a result? And sometimes there is ego in it where you want to have, you know, if I just apply myself this way, I'm going to have this, 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 all this fruit. But if I apply myself this way, it's going to be slower or it's going to require more patience or it's going to be a different journey maybe than I would have taken myself on. So there's a lot, a lot of self-interested narcissism that comes in where we want to be able to tell the highlight story real. Like you mentioned the time I came to your guys' house the first time. If you remember that ministry time, I just got out of Azusa the week before, two weeks before. You were the first ministry trip after, and I missed every prophetic word. I remember that you went 0 for 5. (laughs) I was 0 for 5. And I was just like, this is so bizarre. I don't know how this all works, God. This is so, and so, I mean, like, if, but if I was trying to do my own thing and make myself look good, then I would, uh, or, or like have to be powerful, then I would have uh, been devastated and I would have figured out a way. And that's when people come into cheating and researching and, yeah, you know. All the, well, I remember like, that night we were talking about it and you said, you know, that was a big blessing that that happened today. And, you know, I, I thought, wow, that was really cool because you were so, you were so okay with all that. You know, mostly okay yeah. with all that. I think I was talking myself into encouragement. <laughs> but there was that girl that came up to me and she's like, I came here to prove that you were a false prophet and this thing is weird and that you researched people <laughs> on Facebook and you blah, blah. and she goes, and then you missed everything and you didn't try and correct it or be awesome. You just said, well, that was a really good, bad example for you that I'm trying to take yeah. risk. She goes, yeah. now I have to believe that you're actually at least authentic in your heart, if not maybe you're gifting. She goes, I'm so confused. Like I came here to disprove you and you actually cause an authenticity to happen that I don't know what I think now. And now she's at upper room and she's totally believes in this stuff. You know, so I mean, like, who knows that it wasn't for that one person who's right. a fight from belief her whole life. And God's like, I want to put you in display in your weakness. And I mean, I, I've failed so many people and I'm, I'm comfortable with that. I love it. And all right. So uh, I guess that leads into this next question. Really good. Who is the person in modern day ministry that has heard God the clearest that you know? Um, who's alive or just passed? Uh, yeah, it could be either or. Okay. 
So I would say who has passed away would be Bob Jones, although he was very confusing. Um, I had a deep relationship with my grandpa. But he he helped about six major Christian movements and about 20 or 30 businesses, let alone thousands of others. But I mean, like like major, major, major efforts um, emerged because the faith he imparted through prophetic words. And that who's still alive would be Cindy Jacobs. And Cindy is an enigma, man. She just like, she shows up in random spots all over the world, has met more people than any of us or all of us put together who are listening and has prophesied over more political leaders, specifically presidents than anyone else in history. And she's given words that have like, I'll meet with political figures. And that's one of her specialties as prophet to the nations type thing. And it's not one of my, like I, I actually avoid politics at all costs unless I have to, but I've met with a number of presidents and vice presidents and these kinds of people. And which is my least favorite, not because they're not wonderful people, but because I always just feel like this is not my lane. I don't feel comfortable. I don't want to wear this suit. I don't want to be with these people. I don't want to talk about policy. Even if we're doing it as an advocate for something, like we've advocated a couple of times for different nations for against anti-human trafficking or those kinds of things or for anti-human trafficking. And I still feel like this is not where I want to be ever. Like there's someone who would die to be in the spot. I don't want to die here. Um, so for Cindy, she's, I've been with her a few times behind the scenes where she'll boldly say things to a billionaire or a multinational chairman or a politician or an entertainer with zero fear. And she doesn't know what she's going to say before it comes out of her mouth. And it, excuse me, it changes her life. As a matter of fact, we were um, in pre-production for a TV show uh, two years ago about the prophetic on secular television. It's not going to come out at this point. We just, we're seeing if the networks would be interested at that time. And so a friend of mine put it together. Her name's Edwina Finley, who you might've heard of or met or something. But um, her and her husband, Kelvin, he's amazing. You should have him on your podcast. She is too. She's amazing. And um, and Edwin is an actress. She's on the Tyler Perry show, whatever. So she's put together just a show just to see. Well, we went to the secular production company that was going to produce the show with her. And so uh, Cindy had just been there. And the owner of the company, who's not a Christian, had to have surgery on his hand. And he'd Mm -hmm. just come out of the surgery. And she goes, let me have your hand. Grabs it. Not very nicely begins to pray for it. He has a metal pin in there and he begins to move it in ways that they said he'd never move it. And he has pain free. And so he's telling us a story like, I didn't believe in this stuff, but then she came and told me all about my company, told me what's going to happen in the future. And this is the day in the life of Cindy Jacobs. Like for me personally, I mean, I'm prophetic and I get words for people and it happens, but it's very assignment based. I can count like in a year, maybe, and this sounds like a lot to a lot of you, but I mean, compared to Cindy, it's not maybe 50 to 75 significant key moments with people. And a lot of them are friends and family that I'm already connected to. Whereas Cindy has, unless I'm traveling, when I travel 37 trips, I'd have three to five per trip plus behind the scenes 10 or whatever. But Cindy has like a thousand words in a year and has for 30, 40 years plus. So she, I I remember, I remember seeing her at your symposium and uh, she got up there and spoke and she is, she's incredible. Yeah. Yeah, and she's brave. I mean, she's well, just you think bold. she's a woman, and she's been doing this before. It was popular to be a woman in ministry. Mm-hmm. She's loud and bold. She's small. She's tiny, but she's like a mother. She's like a full-on mother. She will rebuke you if she needs to, but in love. love. And that just shouldn't work. It just shouldn't work. And I've met a lot of people who don't like Cindy because they don't understand women in ministry boldness or the level of authority she has. And these are good people. And I'm like. I just think you don't get it. Like I just, I've been around her so much and the fruit that's on her life is undeniable. Even if she had seasons that were, you know, like she, they used to go after a lot of stuff that maybe she wouldn't do anymore. But um, I, I just think people, we change, like all of us change and we all morph. And so our assignments change, how we do things change, our emotional and spiritual intelligence changes. 
every five to seven years, almost everybody's changing. And so to hold somebody responsible for what happened 30 years ago would be stupid. If you listen to my first teaching tapes, tapes from 25, 26 years ago, you would be embarrassed that you're listening to me now. <laughs> I doubt that. <laughs> but uh, is that back at when you were at IHOP? Yeah, even before IHOP, I was at a church in Sacramento. So yeah, I mean, like just, I, one of my friends gave me my first ministry tip, uh, trip tape about five years ago from his church and he was laughing so hard and gave me the tape. I had to find him in court. I don't have a tape recorder, so I had to find him. And I listened to it and Michael, all I was saying was, you gotta be God's friend because God's your friend and he wants to be your friend and he's, he's so good and he wants to be your friend. And it was terrible. Like it was so embarrassing. And I'm like, God, if you can make me anything, you can do anything with anybody. I don't care if they're homeless or if they're on death row, you can do it. That's too funny. Well, you know, you know, it's funny because it's not funny, but you, you know, you've had some amazing experiences throughout your life. And I, you know, every time I sit down with you or station, I sit down and I've been out to your place and you've coached me and you offered advice and and just so generous with your time, but you've got such a, you got such a, a grounded and humble uh, a mean demeanor about yourself. And I mean, I, I know uh, I've heard stories of you, you know, carrying luggage for, you know, Bob J- Jones and doing all these things and paying your dues and working constantly. And, and, you know, before you, you know, so to, so to speak, had your break, big break or so, if you would call it that, but, and, and then all of a sudden your platform, you know, it's blown up. It's been, you've been blessed and, but you've earned that, but, you know, you, you started out, you know, in, in, you know, in the trenches. Yes. Sure. Yeah. And, and worked hard in the trenches and paid your dues. And so, uh, I mean, I think one of your first gig, you were, were running with Bob for a while. Isn't, isn't that true? No, one of my first gigs was, um, in Kansas city. I worked, uh, with Mike Bickle and I just served okay. my guts out. And then there was a couple of ministries there that were itinerant alongside the big church. It was a big 5,000 over church. And so alongside the church, there's some ministers are itinerant. And I was interested in seeing what it was like to be an itinerant. I didn't necessarily want to do that. It was 1920. And so I volunteered. And they would give me like $100 a month or $200 a month to volunteer 30 hours a week. And wow. so I just worked recording, like doing mass production of their materials and resources and designing graphics. I'm not a, design, a graphic designer, just doing stupid stuff. So I, I worked like I just I always had a serving component. But that that again comes from some of the major leaders in my life, like my dad. Mike Bickle was that way, where they just believe you should serve and not just do stuff that provides you status or glory, but you should do something that no one would see that causes you to be humble, that causes you to stay rooted and grounded and normal. And then business did that for me for a long time because I was doing stuff in business. And when you're in business and it doesn't matter how much people know you outside of that. It's like, it's hard for everybody. And it's like, there was, there was people, like I couldn't get ahead in certain areas. Like I was in real estate for a while. I couldn't get ahead in certain areas. And so every time I had ego in ministry, I was like, let's put this into perspective. I can't even like rent out my two duplexes. You know, like I can't even do, like, let's put, let, let's put my success into perspective that I'm a normal human struggling man. So I think when we, when we understand, like when we stay grounded in reality in real life, it helps us. Well, you, you've had, you know, I've heard a lot of your stories and, and, you know, uh, one of the things that I've always been impressed with, Sean, is you've always believed that something's going to show up, something's going to happen <laughs> and you've trusted it. I mean, I know you talk about when you moved out to California or you moved to move to a new office or something and you didn't have the money. And, uh, all of a sudden you said you'd take this place and then the money showed up. Yeah. And that's, I, I do have, um, I think that it's, if I have one thing from God that I recognize the most, it's faith. It's not the prophetic. 
It's faith to know that God is sending me and that he's going to provide for it. He's going to do things that are unusual. And I have, I have a million of those stories. I don't have a million, like I saw heaven open up, although I have a few of those stories, but I have a million of the faith stories where it's like, I, and I have a legacy of friends. Like some of my closest friends have told me and give me the compliment that I believe in my faith journey and what God's calling me to, and that he'll provide because I've watched you. Cause you've, you've taken these radical leaps where no one believed you. People are like, why are you doing that? Like, why are you going there? And then God would show up and both going to the poorest, of the poor, going to LA, planting churches, like planting ministries, you know, doing stuff like speaking to people who like, I mean, I've gone after billionaires. I'm like, you know, we're in the middle of like a consult, consulting time. And I'm like, Hey, can we have a private one-on-one for a few minutes? Take him in the back room. Like, What's going on with your marriage? Like, you don't do that in a business consulting meeting. You don't go, like, I feel like your marriage is really imbalanced. And like, you guys are on the verge of divorce. What's going on? Oh my gosh, thank you. You know, like those kinds of things. Like I have raw faith, not because I have a prophetic word, but because I have love for God and I know that he wants to show up. So that's, if I have anything, I know I have faith. I love it. All right. So yeah, faith is everything. And it's just, I love the way you walk in that. And, you know, you, you know, you, you talk to talk, but more importantly, you walk the walk. And how do you encourage yourself to continue to grow in the prophetic? And how can our listeners implement this in their journey? So the prophetic is a is a trained or pursued skill set. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, 1, he says, and the message version of the first part says, go after love like your life depends on it. And then the NIV and ASs would say, the second part would be, and eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. So Paul is telling the most like anointed church on the planet that they still have to eagerly pursue gifts. So, I mean, this is like telling Hillsong or Bethel or Upper Room, like you still have to pursue or Gateway, you know, you still have to pursue gifts. It doesn't come naturally. It's supernatural. You have to practice. And then he tells what the benefits of those gifts would be. So for me personally, like I, I go through ebbs and flows, right? So like I'll have a season where it feels like God pursues me uh, because I've spent time, like I used to, like for the first 10 years, I would I would set goals and say, okay, this month I'm going to prophesy. I'm going to pray with prophetic intention is how I would say it for over, I'm going to try and get 20 words for people this month. And so, because I knew if I got to the end of the year and I had two or 300 words, I would learn a lot about who God is. I would bless a lot of people by serving in that way. And I would grow in my ability to articulate and speak because I had a real insecurity about speaking. And so um, so I did that for years. I would set goals. If I didn't set goals, it wouldn't happen because I wouldn't be, I'm not intentional enough. Now, some people, there's those people that are there. You guys have Todd White in Dallas. You're like, there's people who are so bold to talk to anybody. I'm uh, not, I'm not super insecure. I, I have been in the past, but I'm, I'm not, I'm not an extrovert. And by, you know, like, I'm not an introvert, but I'm not an extrovert in between. I don't want to talk to strangers though. And I get weird sometimes. So for me, I had to set goals and I had to say, I'm going to try and love people. I'm also going to try and get words and pray with prophetic intention over family members and friends. And I'm going to, I pick friends. Like if my best friend is home, I'm like, I'm going to try and prophesy over once a year. And just so that over the history of our friendship, 15 years in, 20 years in, now it's been 20 years that he, I've, I've spoken of their lives every year. And it's, and it got bigger and bigger. Like when I think of Hona and his wife, Jen, um, you know, I remember pro- prophesying over at one point when they were in their hardest season and prophesying about the ministry that they would, you know, walk into. And they actually inherited our church from Shree and I. We gave them the church as senior pastors that they planted with us. So it wasn't hard to give it to them because they, they had blood, sweat, and tears. But um, then I prophesied over them, you guys are going to get a house. An unusual down payment is going to come to you. And you're going to get a house that's going to root you in L.A. as mothers and fathers. And shortly after that, within two to five years, the church will get 
a, a blessing of finances to be able to plant the building. Well, during COVID, everyone's suffering and they get the down payment for a house in LA, like specifically for a house in LA and we're able to move into a house. So like, I think when you're with your friends and family, when you're, when you're saying, okay, I want to see the prophetic operate and move my friends and family. And I also want to see it move the world around me. And I'm going to set goals. So one of my goals is to prophesy over him every year. And if he doesn't know that, that's what he probably would listen to this and go, really? That's why you're doing it? But it's because I want to grow in my authority to love through the prophetic, the community I'm in. And I've given them a few words that didn't happen in the time frame that I thought it would happen. And that we also all learn from, because when it's your community and you say, hey, you're going to have a financial breakthrough by next March and it doesn't happen, or the church, it doesn't happen for the church, you have to be accountable and go, I'm really sorry. I think that was my desire. I think I just so saw the place we are at. And I so love you, you guys. I love us. And so it brings a different level of accountability. We have to rebuild. Like I built a whole ministry school in our church for a year that totally, the students loved it. They did amazing. But it financially crashed our church because we just didn't have the capacity for it. And we didn't have the team for it. We didn't have the financial structure in place. And so in nine months, I just about leveled our church. When I first started, I was like, put the God card. Guys, will you go on this journey with me? Let me do this. This is God. I know this is God. And they're like, we don't believe it's God, but we love you enough to follow your leadership but we'll be here to pick up the pieces if we need to at the end. They kind of joked around and it totally was crashing the church. And then at the end of it, when we had to dismantle it, it kind of hurt some of the people who were involved and it was just a bad decision, but they were here for me on the other end to say, okay, now next time you say God told me on something like this and we tell you God's not telling us, we'll weigh it differently together. And so you grow in the authority with the relationship, the community you're in, because we did have some of those moments where I'm like, I feel like we're supposed to do this. And they're like, we don't like we don't at all. So I was like, okay, why don't we wait on it for six months and see if God pursues us with his energy towards this, as opposed to us trying to just step out and do something. And so I think the beauty of intentionally practicing the prophetic is that it balances you out in the community you're in. And you actually, you're pursuing God with hunger and blessed are the hungry for they'll be filled. So good. I love you. You you speak so practical, Sean. You really do. And I love the way you just speak it from your heart and as a practical language that even I understand. <laughs> <laughs> that must be because I can speak, I speak to, to a lot of children's ministries and then uh, teenagers and it's either harder or easier depending on who, who you are. Yeah. Which side of the but if I can yeah. speak to kids about hearing God, I'm confident to speak to adults, but I feel like some adults go, you're so simple and basic, like you're basic. And I'm like, I am basic. I'm sorry. I love it though. It's so, <laughs> it's just so the clarity is just such a blessing. Okay. So have you had any new passions, hobbies, talents that you've discovered in the past six months? Yeah. You know, it's funny. It's, it's old, but new. So we um, felt like COVID and this weird situation our nation's in and the world's in was a time, and we even had some words about by my best friend's wife, Jennifer Toledo, who's also one of my best friends. She said, we're at a place in history where we can pivot. She was talking about the four of us, where we can make any choices to change and we'll never be personally at this place again. So we need to take it seriously. So Shereen and I really began to pray and the grace had lifted from traveling. I did 35 to 45 trips a year for how many years? For 25 years. And I didn't want to travel at all anymore, like at all. So we, we've been taking a sabbatical for the next year off of traveling to speak. Um, so, and it may be more than a year, we may be our new lifestyle forever, I, which I think it will be. And, uh, but no, we're not doing any speaking even locally other than our own church. And we're pursuing the entertainment industry as entertainers. So I'm doing executive producing on a project right now. My wife's doing some stuff that's her story to tell. That's amazing, but it's all mainstream. 
And then also I'm working on uh, some, some writing, some fiction that I've wanted to do forever. And, um, and just, I also want to write some novels. So I've been writing like, but it's come alive in me that I wanted to do. I had a, a trilogy years ago that I wrote for young adult uh, uh, fiction that I had picked up by Phantom Books. And then I, I was right when I was getting married. So I couldn't, I couldn't do all the press stuff I needed to do because I had a daughter and she had colic. So I pulled out of the contract and, uh, and I, I love the book series, but I'm glad it's not the first one I started with, but they're really creative storytelling. And so basically like I freed up my time. So ministry fits into about half my, my time, my workable time. And the other half is these creative projects. So we actually have gone down to half time ministry and then everything else is business and creativity, which is really fun. Wow. Well, that's, that's you know, because I know before COVID hit, you were on the road five, six days a week. Yeah. No, I did about 120 days a year. So it, okay. was, it was quite a bit, but it was condensed. It was like two weeks out here and two weeks there. But I have a five and a seven year old. Like I said, I want to I want to I want to be home in this season specifically to enjoy their all their growing up. I, I feel like I'm a stay at home dad. Like I want to be at home. Yeah. I get it. I totally get it. That's really good. All right. So with, with the new pivot on this and doing these things, and I know you've worked in Hollywood and you you have some uh, coaching clients that are, you know, uh, A-listers. How is, do you see Hollywood switching or changing during this uh, pandemic or is it the same old, same old? Or no, no it's see? totally different. Like even the mandates they've sent out, uh, each studio sends out mandates for when you pitch shows. And last year we were laughing because like a lot of the major networks were and, and studios were sitting out mandates that it was like edgy drama, Game of Thrones. Like it was like all that like crap. Right. And, um, you know, like it has to be like super dark, basically. Like it didn't say that, but it was like, it just right. felt really like nothing I have with through this. Even shows that people have pursued me. I get pursued every year to host shows. And it's always like deliverance shows and living in a haunted mansion or like <laughs> like weird stuff, you know. And, uh, and I've never hosted on, on secular television other than Video Game Network because every time I'm asked to host, it's always some weird supernatural like show. Not like the nice ones like Finding Bigfoot, like Cryptozoology, but it's actually like the totally bizarre, like you're going to speak to seven demonized people from Satanism and see what happens. I'm like, no. So that's like the mandates that are out there is like dark, edgy, intense. And this year, all the mandates were released, I think, uh, last month or the month before and then even uh, mission statements and major networks and it's like inspirational making people thrive happy and shows like survivor i don't know if you know this survivor which has been one of the staples of television they put it on hold for two years they were already filming for two years because everyone's in survival mode and they're like no we will not put that out there because everyone's exhausted so they put amazing race in its place which is never done as well but they're like this is a happy feel-good show we need happy feel-good because culture is traumatized and they can't be like remember when shows people would shock quit or rage quit a show like walking dead or game of thrones because of one episode made them so mad and everyone's saying we cannot have any episodes that hurt our audience or put more trauma on them because of level of trauma in society. So we need good, uplifting, fun, even sex scenes. They're saying we're not doing sex scenes because of COVID. And so like, if you look at Days of Our Lives, these kinds of shows, they tried sex scenes with mannequins and kissing scenes. And it's so ridiculous. They're getting so made fun of that the networks are pushing back and saying sex is off the table right now. So we're in this really special time where people can produce some things and they have the excuse of the pandemic to produce some major action movies or some major romantic movies where sex isn't the number one thing involved or where uh, where the dark isn't so dark and winning because that's what Hollywood is swinging towards 
always like the Joker. I love the Joker, but always understanding and having empathy and compassion for the villain because that's edgy and interesting versus Indiana Jones or something where you just feel great after you watch it. You just feel like we all won. You know, we all won something. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and Hollywood's kind of going back to the we all won. And even wow. like Stranger Things, like that's one of the main shows on Netflix. They made some different decisions because of the pandemic. They were about to go more to like, I think it was a zombie pandemic. And they were like, we can't do this in this season. Let's go this way and take the characters. And also they were going over-sexualizing the teenagers. And they said, We've, we're going to do them a disservice. And they took out all the sex scene or kissing or yeah, makeout scenes other than like the cute ones. I mean, like the shows are being deeply impacted. So spiritually, God's like, hey, I'm going to force morality on <laughs> I love that. That is so cool. And it's so, and I, and I, you know, and I ask you that question because I know you're right in the middle of it all, you know, and I know you're in touch with directors and stuff and, and you're out there, you know, and and so would you say when you're operating in that arena in the Hollywood, uh, for lack of better words, scene, are you covert or are you overt in your Christianity? Um, I'm over in a way that where it's like, it's just part of my life. Um, It's I'm not over in the way where I'm trying to get anybody I'm not selling anything. Right. I think there's Christians out here who made the mistake and are still making the mistake where they're, uh, you almost feel like they have a multi-level marketing business on the side. Like when they come into your office, there's two agendas and, and it just doesn't work in Hollywood. You can't have this Christianizing everything agenda or like I'm here on a divine appointment to meet with you to save your soul. Solomon or Daniel is a better example. Daniel had a spiritual life and it was challenged and warred against but he didn't express his spirituality directly. He did it indirectly when he was called upon. And he did it in his own, like when he was praying and, and the guys figured out he was praying not to Nebuchadnezzar, but to his own God, they were spying on him. So it, it means that he was that covert where he wasn't trying to make a big scene with his Christianity or his Hebrewism, but he was actually like just being authentically who he was. And because he was so excellent and had the mind of God, he was drawn upon by the king as the main advisor. So I think like in my mind, St. Francis of Assisi, preach Christ daily, sometimes use words, meaning your character, your actions, the way you live, the way your marriage is, the way your family is. Let that speak volumes because most most communication, 70% of communication is nonverbal. Let right. the 70% be what you focus on. And if God gives you a chance for the verbal, go for it. So good. And, you know, one of the things that I want to, uh, and to wind this down here and land this is I want to, I want our listeners to know how generous you are. And I think, uh, you know, I'm I think generous, generous person I know. I'm just kidding. I mean, yeah. Where's this coming from? Well, it's, it's just because I just remember, uh, you know, uh, going out to California and me and Johnny coming out there and hanging out with you and you spending time and me and Freeland coming out there and you've all, and then, you know, I remember you did an interview with me on your podcast, which, you know, nobody knows who I am. And I mean, you've got, you know, 8 million people listening to your podcast. And I remember when you called me and you said, Hey, McIntyre, you're going to get some calls on this thing. And this is back in October uh, of 2018, I think, or 2017. And I was looking at my, I was looking at my phone and it happened so amazing. I mean, Australia, then it hit Australia, then it would hit New Zealand. And then all of a sudden, you know, I had 4,000 hits in like, you know, 24 hours and it just went all around the globe because of your impact. 
and because of, of the outreach that you have and the platform you have. And, and what I love about you, Sean, is you share your platform and you are a true giver. And, uh, you know, I've been hanging out in this Christian charismatic world probably, I don't know, for 10, 11 years. And you are one of the most generous people that I know in that. And I think, and, and it's not by accident, it's your nature. And you and Cherie always show up big that way. And I'm just very impressed with that. And I just want to say thank you for all that. And the other thing I want to ask you is my final question for you <laughs> in this in this interrogation is how do you want to be known for? What is it that you want to be known for? Um, I th that's a great question. I think, you know, it, it's, su it's super simple. I want to be known for somebody who um, helped people learn to love themselves and the world around them. And it's just that our Christianity, when I grew up in Christianity, my parents were excited about the church bubble and conferences and meetings. And they didn't really see how the kingdom could transform the world because of God's love, for, for God to love the world. And so I think I just want to be known for simply people connected mentally, spiritually, emotionally to God because and made brave connection because I was one of the voices in their life. And I'm hoping that happens. Well, you, you make a huge impact and you make a big difference in his kingdom. And I just want to say thank you, man. And uh, yeah, so uh, two things I always ask everybody at the end here. What are you studying right now? Or what do you what do you what scripture are you uh, working on or holding on to right now? And what books are you, what is in the last maybe six months or a year? What what's some of your favorite books that you're diving into? Or, or I love not? it. So um, I don't have my books here. We just cleaned up everything. Um, so what am I studying? I'm studying the names of God for the TVN series, and it's been the most exciting study I've done since, um, really since probably the, the last times I studied the end times. I mean, like it was, it's so exciting to know what we have available. I'm I'm getting born again in some of these names. Like I'm just realizing who God is, like his first revealed identity as creator. No him as creator before anything else. Like I'm, I'm geeking out on it and I'm sharing it with our production team from TV and they're like, I've never heard this. This is amazing. I'm like, I've never heard it either. Like, I feel like I'm learning. I feel like Joyce Myers <laughs> is teaching me or someone, you know, someone who's like a real teacher is teaching me. It's amazing. I'm like, and I get to teach this. So, so it's cool. Cause I'm not just like trying to make a show. I'm actually on a journey of discovery. I think it would come across well on the show too. Cause I'm awesome. discovering and it's a, it's a, it's a series I'm, I've been learning for the last two years. It's the number one thing I've, I've been studying because I just want to know him. I just want to know all the ways we're going to know him. Reading wise, I just read Bill Johnson's uh, book and I can't find it because it's that's okay. It has uh, it's a new one about significance. Yeah, it's amazing. Like I, I wish I would. Uh, yeah, I don't have it right here. I just read and I read Jonathan Kahn's uh, follow up to the 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 Harbinger. If you've ever read the Harbinger, it's really interesting. Just like almost sci fi. It's so crazy. And so like I read the the next yeah. one. I just, I, you know, like I'm not in the same as far as like believing all the things he believes. I love him so much. I never spend time with him, but um, it's just really interesting like to me that just some of the stuff he said. Secular wise, as far as mainstream books, I just read um, the most amazing book that has already been out for a while called Daring Greatly by Brene Brown. And oh, she's a wow. sociologist and I love her books. So if you're, if your listeners yeah. are feeling like they want to figure out what's disconnecting them from being being able to dare and dream again, they should read that book because they'll they'll totally go on a significant journey. That's like crazy. And that was a really, I, I actually read it again. It was the second time I read it, but I felt like I, this is the first real time that I read it and it was really good. And you can if, listen to an audio. If you can't read it, just get an audible from it because it, it'll change your life. The last thing 
that I read with Sri, we just read it. We're totally environmentalists now. It's great. Um, but in a Christian sense, like we want to steward the world with God. She's an urban farmer, if you don't know, and the garden. Yes, I've been watching so her videos. They're amazing. If you if you have the endurance to listen to this on Audible or read this, it's called The Pigness of Pigs. It's a book from a farmer. He's one of the number one farmers in the world and runs a pig farm and teaches principles. This is his Christian book. He has a secular book that's a New York Times, I think it's a New York Times bestseller. It's a bestseller regardless. But The Pigness of Pigs is the theology of the earth and how we're wow. supposed to steward it. And it will convict you. It will Come make on. you say, why am I eating what I'm eating? Why am I doing what I'm doing? It disrupts wow. the food systems. It changes everything. And it's irritating. It's so irritating. <laughs> it's so good. So those are what I've been reading. Cool. There's some there's some platinum knowledge right there, listeners. There's some platinum nuggets right there. I love that. And, t- uh, and I love watching Cherie's uh, Instagram videos, the way they speed up and stuff and the way she does that stuff. She's amazing at that. Thank you. Yeah, BuzzFeed really likes her and picks her up quite a bit. And now she has a TikTok uh, uh, contract where she's one of the educators of TikTok. So it's it's Shree Bowles on TikTok and everywhere else. It's at Dream, at, wait, at Dream Big Urban Farm, which we live on an urban farm in L.A. Well, I'll make sure I'll put that in the story notes. That's awesome. And so, Sean, everybody knows you, but I'm going to say it anyway. How? What's the best way for people to get in touch with Bowles Ministries? Just through like our app, Bowles Ministries app, or because you get everything. You get our YouTube series, our podcast. We have so much of what we do is free, right? So we have free content like all the time. Articles, I write for CBN News and Charisma News and all of it shows up there. I write, do a lot of entertainment reports for Christianity. And then, uh, but if they want to go to our website, bullsministries.com, and we have our mentoring platform. I do mentoring live every week, but we also have five videos a week plus about 12 e-courses. We have a new one coming out, Translating God is coming out, which is based on our best-selling book, Translating God. And it's, we've never done the proper e-course for it. So we just, because we have a TBN show called Translating God on Monday nights, you can watch for free, of course. And this is if you want to go deeper, it's, a, it's the, you can take a, a small group through it. It's so much fun. I love how the team, our production team put it together. So yeah, bullsministries.com. Yes, and you've got some e-courses on there too, yes? Yeah, yeah. all of our stuff is on one platform now. It's only $14.99 a month. So they are going to get content. Over. Usually people charge like $79.99 or $159 right. a month. We're, we're just going for like, we want the most people to be able to get the content. And we're trying to keep it. And we have like conferences on there every other month. We have like, we have so much stuff on there. Like it's so well, good. Like we have a devotional on there for the provision book. It's so cool. Check it out listeners go to bowlsministries.com and it's easy to navigate i've even navigated it (laughs) (laughs) it's really good it's so good sean thank you so much you got an amazing team i love it uh you guys are out there just making a difference you always inspire me and uh, i just want to say thank you for taking out time uh to be at the next level podcast because my man you are next level and you've helped (laughs) next level experience be international because because of that deal we had people come in from all over the world so thank you for that and god bless you and shereen please tell uh your beautiful wife i said hello and uh, your daughters are amazing well vice versa you have the most beautiful family so tell them all hi thank you hey friends please remember to rate review subscribe and share our podcast on apple spotify and all other platforms where great podcasts are found thank you Thank you for checking out the Next Level Podcast. For more information or additional resources, please visit themichaelmcintyre.com.